All right, everybody, welcome back to the Best Hour of Their Day podcast. Jason Fern here with my good friend, Megan Burns. We were just chatting before we went uh, record, and I was like, wait, wait, this is good. We'll, we'll save it for the podcast. Um, but I'll give Megan a brief intro, and then we will go from there. So Megan, level two, level three, you're not level four, are you? Level three? three. Yeah. yeah, level three CrossFit trainer. Um, Trained a lot of really good gyms under a lot of really good trainers. So started at CrossFit Invoke back in the day, then was at CrossFit Reebok One, working with Denise Thomas and Austin and James, was at CrossFit One Nation, uh, again with uh, Spencer Handel, Austin, uh, CrossFit Morristown with Bill, um, who is also going to be on the podcast. Uh, that just one, that one. Yeah, that's the other one that hasn't been uh, released yet. And then uh, and now is at CrossFit Prignum, which is a really cool thing that we're going to talk about. And also is the assistant strength coach at Noble and Greenoff Academy. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. So um, you've coached at a lot of gyms. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> been around. Moved around a lot. What? Uh, when did you actually start coaching? <clears throat> uh, so I started coaching when I was 20. I'm 28 right now. Um, and that was down at, uh, CrossFit Invoke, um, and really just like Christmas Abbott took me under her wing and there realized she was going through the internship process for seminar staff. So that's kind of how I got into thinking about seminar staff and then just kind of went on from there. But she, she definitely was the one that gave me the most, I would say like mentorship back in the day. I don't, I don't know if you or the youngest ever, but I know for sure you were one of the youngest people ever to make it on seminar staff. Yeah, I, think, I remember it was me and Joey Dill. We were like just freshly 21. And I think the only person who might have started younger than than you might have been Pat Barber. Oh yeah, how old was he? He was like, his, he was on just the other day, but I, I think he was like 18 or 19 maybe. But yeah. I think he was, he was in that, he was in that, the the nest at that point with Tony and Greg and all that. So, uh, but yeah, I think he might be the only other one that was, that was younger, which I think is significant because working on seminar staff is, uh, is what I would consider an adult job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I remember being around like for my internship, it was Joe and Courtney and Sarah and Kristen and all these people that I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here, but this is awesome. And yeah, I don't, I actually, I, I know for a fact, I would have not have had the poise at the age of 20, 21 to do that job, to stand up in front of a group of people, do public speaking, have good I might have been able to do the presence and attitude piece just because of a lot of sports, but yeah. definitely not the public speaking. But I've seen you coach a lot, and that's always something I've been super impressed with. Is like I always like watching trainers who, when they coach, you're like that person fucking knows what they're talking about. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's just you know when you watch somebody coach, you're like that person's sharp. Like like what they're doing is correct. They're competent in it. We're, how, like, but was that always the case, or like? Obviously, yeah, you had to be definitely. pretty. You obviously had to be pretty good to get on seminar staff. Yeah, I actually, I don't, I don't even know if I was really that good. I just, maybe I was just like friendly, and then Joe was like, "Okay, we're just gonna give this girl a chance." I don't know. I remember being like, "There's no way 
I'm going to make it. But I do remember um, there was like a point that I, like people were telling me, if you want to gain more respect, you need to be more serious. So I kind of went from this always joking around kind of the like little baby. And then I went to full serious mode. Like I remember one point Denise watched my lecture and she was like, I don't, I don't think you went from like out of robotic mode with a completely straight face. And like, you looked angry out there one time. So then I was like, okay, I like shifted too far the other way because I was like, I just want everybody to respect me. And that now I'm kind of like finding the groove the past couple of years, but it was definitely a weird shift of like the baby and then way too serious. And then, you know, even like, I remember Bobby telling me like, you need to stand up straight or you need to be like, there's definitely a lot of, um, you know, growth that's happened over seven, eight years of being on seminar staff that has shaped me into the person I am now with a lot of, you know, like we have so many good mentors on seminar staff, um, that I don't know where I would be without having those people kind of guide me through that, that point in my life. That's always been a, a fine balance to have is that being the authority while being engaging, like that can be a very difficult kind of task. Yeah. You know, particularly in front of the group. Um, I, I, know, like I know I've struggled with it over the years. Like as a small female, it's hard sometimes to gain that respect. Like being a small female, not like a, you know, one of the elite athletes working with like a James Austin Spencer and then like little Meg. So it was definitely like a, you know, kind of had to find my place and, and my voice a little bit, like around a lot of those strong personalities and um, athletes too. Well, I, it, it's definitely not right, but I, it's a thing, right? So it's like one of these things we just have to acknowledge how the world works. Um, but like Carlene Matthews talked about this. So she's also a small female, yeah. but she's got that stigma of a, a games athlete. So people automatically give her respect, whether that's justified or not as a different um, topic, which she actually acknowledged that it's not justified uh, just being a good athlete. But for somebody who's a small athlete, who a small female athlete, who is not, you know, physically imposing, who's not a games athlete, there's, which probably is the majority of female coaches in the CrossFit community. Yeah. How do you go about establishing that type of rapport and that type of authority from a coaching standpoint? Yeah. Yeah. And I get that question all the time at um, seminars. People are like, how do you deal with tough clients as a female and like what happens if you don't have the skills that you're coaching and all that stuff, um, which I went through not having a lot of the skills that I had to coach at first and now having them. But I think it just took the moment that I realized that I needed to stop hiding that I didn't have a certain skill and just embrace like where I was at and my ability level and be open to working on it with people in front of members and things like that gave me the confidence to be in front of a group and not be nervous about that stuff. And then, um, you know, it kind of worked in my favor because we, even this happened last year, like last year I didn't have handstand walks. So I started working on it in class or after class with members. And all of a sudden, like all these members started joining in. Now we have like Every Wednesday night, we're all doing handstand walks together. I got handstand walks. Jimmy's getting handstand walks. Kelly's getting, you know, everybody's getting them. And so it's like, if you just hide the fact that you're like, well, I'm embarrassed that I don't have this skill and now I'm not going to work on it. And now I feel really insecure instead of just putting it out there. Like, Hey guys, like I'm working on this stuff too. 
it makes you more relatable. And that's kind of my strength that I embrace is like my relatability and the fact that I can scale people maybe a little bit better sometimes than someone that just like popped up on the rings and got their muscle up for the first time. I and think then, that's the worst coach. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then when it comes to like, you know, advanced athletes and I, I will learn from other coaches things that I can say, you know, when, when I'm watching like a Spencer and Austin, like teach somebody how to cycle muscle ups or things like that before I had that skill, then I'm having to learn from them and kind of know where I'm at, where I can give feedback, but that I can still coach the movement and, you know, learn from other coaches that maybe have more experience with advanced athletes or advanced skills. I think that's one of the biggest hurdles, probably more so at the level two new coaches or less experienced coaches who are trying to figure out or they have that stigma about themselves that they don't have a skill and therefore feel that they, because they don't have a skill that they can't teach it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just like embracing that and working your ass off to get it and doing it in front of other people, you know, and not being like, Oh, I'm going to do this privately by myself and be really embarrassed and like putting it out there to others, getting help from others you know, embracing scaling options, like can, can really be something that helps bring you down to the members level almost, but also, you know, show them that like, you're trying to work your ass off to get the skill and you're not just like, Oh, I don't have handstand wash and I'm, I don't care to work on them. Right. You're like, I don't have them. I care to work on them. And I want you guys to work on them with me. So we're all going to do it together. Yeah. I think that's important too, from a, just from a leadership standpoint of, you know, you have to be willing to do yourself what you're going to ask of your athletes. So if you're like not going to work on that stuff, then you can't tell people, Hey, you can't do handstand pushups because you don't fucking know how to walk on your hands. So, you know, and, and I love it. I mean, we do like, I've gotten some of the kids at the high school to like practice with me and stuff. And it's cool that their coach can work on stuff with them instead of like the typical high school setting where it's like, well, the football coach is really never going to like play football with them. I mean, they might, but like they're off to the side and the players are playing. Whereas like for me, I'm working with some of these kids doing handstand walks, failing. They're doing it with me. They're failing. We're all getting better together. So it kind of promotes this sense of like, nobody's better than anybody. We're all doing it, which is exactly CrossFit. We're all doing the same thing together. We're, you know, working at, on our own, like on our own level. What, um, what sports do you coach at the, at the high school? So it's a strength and conditioning program. So what they have is an after-school program where they split a group of kids that sign up for this afternoon program into three different groups or two different groups. So like in the fall and winter, we have big groups. Maybe it'll be groups of like 20 or 30. We take them through um, always a lift and accessory work. And then one day a week, we have a team competition, which is usually CrossFit. So that's where I get to program the strength coach programs, all that. It's kind of more like linear strength work that they go through. And then in addition to that program, we'll have teams come in. So it's any team that wants to go through strength and conditioning on the off season or even in the in season. Um, but I don't teach like a specific sport. It's just a Got strength it. and conditioning. So my title is assistant strength and conditioning coach. That brings up two questions. The first, so that's actually really cool. So this is not the program that you are coaching is not sports specific, obviously, or just for sports. It's for any kid that just wants to get in the weight room. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they originally brought me in because they were having more girls sign up for the program. The strength coach is kind of like typical, you know, 
what you would think of strength coaches, like big guy, he can probably, you know, bench press like 300 pounds plus whatever. Um, and then the girls were a little timid and they like, didn't really have anybody to relate to. Um, and so, and then my experience with like Olympic lifting and things that they don't really do. So we kind of, um, are a good pair together because he has his strengths. I have my strengths and then we put them together. That was actually my follow on question was how does that relationship work? Because typically in my experience, traditional strength and conditioning coaches are extremely resistant to any mention of CrossFit. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, um, the strength and conditioning coach is really awesome and open-minded to pretty much anything. I mean, we, we follow his program. Like he has a set, you know, like what they're going to do for their lifts and their accessory work, which is a lot of stuff that I've learned that is different than what we do in the CrossFit world, like single leg stuff, all that stuff for injury prevention, which is good for me to know because it may not be the best for in-season football players to do CrossFit, right? Or to, you know, like they need to get their injury prevention stuff and all that in their programming. Um, but he's super open. And also the athletic director is um, – He's really into CrossFit. I met him through One Nation, and he is Heather Bergeron's ex-husband. So he's kind of like been in the world of CrossFit, and um, uh, Kevin knows Ben and all that stuff. So I think it's kind of a unique situation with him. But the kids are definitely a little resistant, meaning like they don't understand the squat below parallel and lock out your arms on pull-ups and things like that. So it's a little weird trying to get them to understand that, especially again, from a small female, you know, that's taken like two years for them to now start to listen like, Oh, she knows what she's talking about kind of thing. Do you ever just have to step up and grab a barbell and snatch it overhead and just embarrass, well, embarrass teenage boys? Yeah. So, so I mean, there'll be sometimes that I'll work out before um, the strength class and they'll see me and then start kind of asking questions like, all right, what do you do? Or like, you have to almost like gain your respect there because they have, they have some amazing athletes. Like a lot of them are already signed at top schools and they're sophomores. Um, but they're just not used to that world. And they think it's really unsafe because CrossFit gets this, you know, like, Oh, it's super unsafe. I will say one thing. I've the amount of things I've seen in a high school weight room. I'm like, there's no way people can say CrossFit's unsafe. Cause like the things that kids decide to do like on their own, I'm like, I no. that, that is a whole podcast by itself. Yeah. There, I mean, again, I think CrossFit gets a lot of bashing probably just because we're a very large, easy target, yeah. but I was very fortunate to always have really, really knowledgeable strength and conditioning coaches. Like my, the guy who programmed for us in high school, uh, was a world-class power lifter is the first guy to ever break 2,500 pounds, like multiple stages. So like squatting and deadlifting and all that stuff I learned from a very young age. Then when I was in college, um, one of our strength and conditioning coaches was Kurt Wolfolk, who is, um, his daughter was an Olympian weightlifter and is married to, um, coach Bergner. I think he's married. I think she's married to Casey Bergner. Okay. So, you know, and then I, and then I stumbled into CrossFit. So I've always, I've always had, and well, and then in, in uh, high school too, I spent some time with Gail Hatch, who's a world renowned weightlifting coach too. So like, I, I was always just very fortunate to get that. But the point of that weird tangent was I've seen some crazy shit in high school oh, yeah. weight rooms, like yeah. stuff that people think CrossFit's dumb. Like I've seen some people posting videos of what they're doing in the weight room and it makes me want to throw up in my mouth. Yeah. 
So like, I, I never knew this could happen maybe cause I never have two 45s on each side of my bar when I'm squatting. But you know that when you have two 45s on one side, two 45s on the other side, and you take the two 45s off one side, you know that the bar falls over on the other side. The flying that, spear of death. Yeah. Yeah. That happens on a regular basis. And I'm like, I've never seen that happen before until I was in that setting. I don't know. It's weird. Well, I don't know that that only happens in the high school weight room. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Phil, who like so Phil uh, Sabatini, who runs our weightlifting program at our gym, he's a phenomenal weightlifter, former national champion, ninety six kilo. But he and I regularly joke that probably once every ten days, somebody dumps a weight off of the squat rack because they unloaded them properly. And these are people who fucking know what they're doing. Yeah. And I'm just like, I, what were you thinking just now? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, so going back to the strength and conditioning stuff, I'm curious. So I went the other direction. So I went from sports specific training to CrossFit. You're kind of going from CrossFit to sports specific yeah. training for people who are, cause I know a lot of people are trying to get into that now. So like, yeah. trying to get into training sports specific athletes. But I think there's a massive mistake that people are make is trying to lay a very GPP program onto sports specific athletes. What are some of the things that, that you kind of previously thought about training that you, I don't want to say backtrack, but like you kind of understand a little bit better now that may not be the best approach for a sports specific athlete. Yeah. I think, um, you know, even though my background is CrossFit, I tried to kind of go in and not, I didn't want to step on anybody's toes and just follow along with what, you know, Kevin was programming. Um, and then tried to implement some stuff with some athletes and just talking with him about how in season is different than off season. And the fact that, you know, seeing so many of these kids get injured in their sport, um, you know, gives me a little worry if I were to have them do some like super technical lifts and that injury risk there for them, if they're not under my eye or, you know, even if something just kind of off happens that that could take them out for the season that could then, um, you know, be damaging to their career, which, like I said, a lot of them are like legitimate athletes that are going to go on to top schools. Um, so I had to pull back and be a little bit cautious just because, I was nervous about the injury risk for them um, doing like mostly doing more so Olympic lifts, like at speed or with high intensity. Um, but you know, a lot of the stuff that we do for our team competitions, it's high intensity, but a little bit more of um, a body weight movements. So I 100% think everybody should be doing high intensity work. Uh, I think it would make the athletes a lot better. A lot of them are still like, they're not into it. They don't like to work really hard. They like to lift and not breathe hard. Um, but I think it would make a lot of them better. And then the full range of motion concept, that's like the one thing I'm just trying to hammer home to them is like, let's take the weight down. Let's get full range of motion. This is why, and having to explain it to them. And I was talking to Matt DeBrook and he was saying that, you know, these kids that if they don't train full range of motion, what happens when they fall or get pushed and they land in this weird position that they've never experienced because they don't go full range of motion in their squat. And that's the biggest thing that I'm like, I, I feel like they don't understand that. But if they did, they would be like, Oh, if I actually train full range of motion in my squat, then I land in this weird position 
well, I've already been there before and I already have strength there. I'm not going to blow my knee out because Jay, the, the amount of injuries like with these high school kids is like insane. And I'm sure this, obviously it's not the only school that like is like that, but you know, there's injuries like left and right just from sport. It's interesting you bring that up because I think oddly enough, I think this is where like a really seasoned CrossFit coach probably has a massive advantage over most people just because obviously CrossFit is very, a lot of it is very repetitive movement. So if you think about just the volume of movement that you're going to stack up on your eyeballs that you're going to get to see if you're coaching, I don't know, call it 20 classes a week or 40 classes a month or something like that, puts you at a major advantage to see movement. And then when you walk into a weight room and you understand that pelvic shift in a squat, um, valgus knees and stuff like that are prime predictors for ACL injury. And it, and it doesn't take you any time to see those things. You're like, we have to fix that squat. We have to fix that squat and injury preventions will, will injuries uh, rates will just plummet. Yeah. Yeah. And I really think that like, it, you know, in the strength and condition, I'm sure like when you were in high school, like they don't really have, like we do coach when we're in the strength and conditioning like class, but outside of that kids just come in uh, by themselves and they're lifting, they're not getting this like specific coaching. And that's what I feel like the strength and conditioning world sometimes can take from CrossFit is that like nothing is being done if, if you're at a good gym without being coached and you know, you're not going to lift that weight because that's, that, this is what you look like right now. This is what we need you to look like right now. This is how you're going to hurt yourself if you lift this weight, you know, so on and so forth. But that, that's the one thing that I'm like trying to get a little bit more coaching um, on a regular basis for the kids that just come in there by themselves. Yeah. I think that the coaching, because like, even, even though I had good coaches, a lot of it was just like, do this. And, yeah. and a lot of people are just kind of hanging their hat or they're on the fact that like kids are just resilient. Like it's really hard to break youth athletes. Right. However, yeah. and yeah. generally it doesn't happen in the weight room. It happens on yeah. the playing field because of poor, exactly. because of poor mechanics. But the way I try to explain it to kids and parents more importantly is what we're actually trying to teach is like physical competence, right? And the difference between you know, you know, unknown and known environments is like the weight room is known. Like I know you're going to do this and I know you're going to move in this movement pattern. Like everything there is understood and I can demonstrate when we leave the weight room, everything at that point, we step onto the court or the playing field is an unknown environment. You have to deal with different planes of motion, move in directions without prompt. You have to deal with another athlete who's going to mess up or impede your movement patterns. And if athletes can't move well, in a controlled known environment, there should be zero expectation that they can do that in an uncontrolled environment. Exactly. Yeah, totally. That's a great way to put it. How long have you been there? Two years. And then have I'll, you seen I'll be working there again in the fall? Okay. And then have you seen a little bit more buy-in a, a little bit with kind of, I don't want to say the CrossFit side, but with like just that, the addition of that style of training since you've been yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, I think people now are starting to, but or the kids now are starting to buy in a little bit more to you know why we do a full range of motion squat why are we locking out our pull-ups things like that but it especially the high school boys that are maybe the more like elite athletes would never come up to me and be like hey can you help me with this or that and so now I think just from me working out there and me coaching and you know seeing results with the program 
that now kids will come up and be like, Hey, coach Burns, they have to call me coach Burns, which is so weird. Hey, coach Burns, can you help me with this? Or what do you think about this? Can you give me some accessory work? And I'm used to them always going to Kevin. And I think it was just like, they know Kevin, he's like the guy that's, you know, obviously like looks like he can lift a lot of weight. He can lift a lot of weight. So why would they come to me? Um, so it's been cool this year, especially seeing them open up just a little bit more and be receptive. They all like, I, I don't think I've had anybody really buy into CrossFit. I have a couple kids that like I'll, I'll give workouts to, um, but anytime we do team competitions and we have to run like two laps around the track, they're like, no, you know, I'm like, Hey, and conditioning program like what do you think you sign up for and they're like we don't like to you know get out of breath and this and that I'm like yeah me neither thing like I would implement more is like we, we need to like have them condition more and Alex who is the one that I said it has experience with CrossFit he would send his basketball girls to us and like want them to be conditioned because he's like last year we were really deconditioned and like we could play well but we couldn't last for a long time so all that stuff, you know, getting people to see like there's carryover and it's not just like CrossFit is in its own bubble. Like how does CrossFit style of training carry over into sport um, can be really helpful. People just understand and, and keep their, you know, minds open to it. I'm going to call you Coach Burns from now on. It's so weird. They're like, what's your name? I'm like, Megan, oh, Coach Burns. <laughs> the head of the school, like you're not supposed to say the first names. First name. Um. <laughs> I just saw a weird video of like some kid walking through the halls, just calling all the teachers by their first names and they're all freaking out. Yeah. Um, so uh, on the, on the, on a different top, well, not a different topic, but just different question. What have you taken from that traditional strength conditioning side or have you taken anything from there into the CrossFit gym? Yeah, I would say definitely. Um, it, it's given me a lot. I would say it's given me a lot of knowledge on the, injury prevention and accessory work that they do there. All the lifts are the same. Like we do hang cleans and at the school and back squat and deadlift. Um, but single leg step up, um, banded work, like all that stuff to specifically prevent ACL and, you know, get you balanced from one side to the other. A lot of hamstring work, things like that, that sometimes we miss in the CrossFit gym. Um, I've started to implement that a little bit more just, you know, here and there, like after classes, uh, because I've learned that from, from the school. That's what I thought you were going to say. And that's something we started implementing like at CrossFit Rife, like a year ago, maybe yeah. it is, well, it does two things. A, it kind of subtly and, and subconsciously gives people, um, a, some of those pieces that they're missing in their movement, either, whether it's, you know, whether it's unilateral movement that they suck at and they have imbalances or they have an injury or something like that, that they've been compensating for that they're not aware of. Um, but it also has helped us really scratch the itch of people wanting to do more. Yeah. Yeah. And it helps us kind of eliminate that. Like I want to do multiple workouts and it's like, well, are you doing all the accessory work? Because I, I mean, I would tell you like virtually nobody does all of the accessory work. Right. 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 Yeah. And that stuff is hard if you do it right. So it's like, you're getting the injury prevention and it's tough. Well, I think it's also a different type of training that most people aren't used to, which it generally you're dealing with like localized muscle fatigue, which is yeah. not generally what we deal with in CrossFit. Like it's like full metabolic conditioning where like the system just wants to shut down versus when you're doing accessory work, it's like my triceps can't 
press anymore or my hamstrings are about to blow up from these banded hamstring curls. So it's different. And I think that allows them to, to really kind of take a step back and say, okay, this is a lot of work actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to back up and I want to talk a little bit about kind of how you got there and, and kind of that journey, because I don't, I don't think people kind of picked up on this when I gave the intro, but the gyms that you've been at are all good gyms under good coaches. And, but I'm curious kind of like what, if you look back on it now, like what does that evolution kind of look like? Was there something you picked up at each location or there's certain skills that when you, when you went from gym to gym that you realized you were deficient at or, or what, or kind of how does that look when you look back at it now? Yeah. I mean, each, each one was definitely hard to leave um, because I was with such good um, people and such great mentors and they're all seminar staff um, at each gym that I worked at, which was awesome. So they all, I never had to deal with, you know, when people ask a question at the level one, well, what if the owner of the gym wants to do five workouts and you know, that's not the way or whatever, how do you deal with that gym owner? It was always like, we were always on the same page, which was really cool. Um, you know, when I, when I was at Invoke, that was when I was really just kind of like learning how to coach and um, being mentored by Christmas. And then going up to Reebok CrossFit one, I was still really young and like still kind of learning. And I ended up leaving Reebok CrossFit one probably before I should have um, just from making decisions in my life. Um, it ended up leading me back to CrossFit one nation, but I probably would have never left there in the first place. Um, it looking back on it, but I did really enjoy my time at Morristown. I made a lot of good friends there. I love Kariana and Bill. Um, they're amazing gym owners. And then going back to one nation, that was probably where I really, um, like not had uncomfortable moments, but was surrounded by all these amazing athletes. And I wasn't like in that group. So figuring out how to hold my own, how to, you know, scale my own workouts, be okay with skills that I didn't have work on those skills, be around, um, a lot of amazing coaches that were giving me feedback a lot of times and you know, learning from them, but also not being so nervous to coach in front of them. So that, that was probably when I got to one nation, like the most challenging, I mean, I was with Greg, who's a seminar staff member. Um, and he would just like sit on the side of my classes and like write down all this feedback and, you know, so that, that's where I probably developed most, I would say as a coach with my confidence, maybe. How did you deal with feedback when at the beginning? I've always been open to feedback. I mean, I don't, that, that's never really been hard for me. It was more like the the nervousness of having an Austin or a James or a Greg or somebody just like watching my class. Um, and that took a while to really like just be myself in front of other people watching my class. And I think that's the biggest thing now that I'm in a role where I'm giving feedback to other people, I can tell that they give that, get that same nervousness when I'm watching them. So I almost like step away, like out of sight instead of just sit there and watch like, you know, Greg was a, like an asshole and like sat there just like staring at me with his whiteboard. And I'm like, Greg, really? You know, so like, um, like trying to remember how I felt when I was getting that feedback. And I think going through that process helps me to give feedback. Um, but that was the hardest, not getting the feedback, just like getting watched and not getting nervous and like blowing my whole class. 
what do you think allowed you? So that's, so that's kind of an abstract concept, but it's, it's very, it's very valuable, but it's, it can be hard to wrap your brain around as a new coach, which is like, just be yourself. And you're like, yeah, yeah but I'm about to piss my pants because you're over there jotting notes and this class is huge and it's the snatch and the muscle up. So like, how do you, how do you go about getting to the point where you're like, I'm, I'm comfortable being myself at this point? Yeah. I think, you know, one, one thing that I definitely have learned from working with Austin is, um, like you really need to practice what you preach. And I, I think once I, you know, started like dialing in my nutrition and working on the skills I need to work at and actually taking class and scaling myself appropriately and all that kind of stuff. And not just like working out by myself and doing my own thing or like, you know, being kind of bought in with the nutrition, but kind of not like, that's when I felt like I not had a leg up on other members, but like they respected me because I was, you know, eating the way that I was telling them to eat and like working on myself and my workouts the way I was telling them to do. So it kind of came a little bit more naturally once I started to do that. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things, and you can speak to this too, but like one of the things that I really try to harp on in the level two particularly is people just are not putting in the work. Like they're not, they're not putting in the work to do the stuff that's not sexy. Like, learn the points performance, learn the faults, practice giving cues, do dry runs on your lesson plan. And that's what I try to really explain to people is like, that is how you become comfortable in your own skin from a coaching standpoint is when you can start to develop that kind of unconscious competence where I'm not thinking about what I'm doing. This is just how I do things. Right, right. And like, you know, getting uncomfortable, like it is uncomfortable to go to a team training at One Nation with all these games athletes and have to like drastically scale down what you're doing in front of everybody, you know? And it's uncomfortable to put yourself in a scenario where you're getting this tough feedback. Like I remember, you know, I would walk around the PVC pipe and Christmas would like interrupt my whole class and take the PVC pipe. And like, it was embarrassing, but I was okay with, being uncomfortable and just like learning from that situation. I think that at the level two and like when I'm giving feedback here, it's the ones that are just aren't open to the feedback or being uncomfortable that really struggle with it. And if they could just like, you know what, this is going to kind of suck and be a little embarrassing and like not stuff that I would generally want to do. That's going to make me better when you can start being okay with that. Then it, it really becomes a lot easier. Yeah, it's just such a hard thing to break through on because it, it's painful in the process. Yeah. But, you know, Chuck brought this up on the on that previous uh, episode, which was, you know, that feedback piece and that un- uncomfortable piece, like, is that critical piece that allows you to grow? Like, there's no other way other than constantly being in that kind of cycle of like, this is your feedback. This is where we can get better. This is these are things you do well, but this is the things that you do like, okay. Yeah. And then at some point, like you just suck less and for, and you, and you probably spend a lot of time in the suck less category before yeah. you, before you're pretty good. And the things that you're talking about are largely abstract in nature. They're just yeah. like, Hey, don't stand that way. Like fucking smile occasionally, you know, like yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. 
And so now it's kind of, it's interesting now that I'm in a role where I'm giving feedback and realizing like how challenging of a job that is to give feedback because not everyone responds to feedback in the same way. And I respond to feedback. Like, I want you to just tell me, Hey, like this podcast sucked. Like next time we do it, do it this way. And I'd be like, got it. Like we'll do another podcast, you know, or versus like, okay, it was, it was all right. You know, like kind of beating around the bush and I'm realizing that not everybody can take it like that. And I can't be so like, Hey, that wasn't good. Like do it better this time, do it this way or whatever. Um, with everybody because that just does not work with everybody. I think that's actually like perfect segue into the next piece, which is I kind of wanted you to talk about your time and things you guys are doing at Perignum CrossFit now. Yeah. yeah. So for those people that don't know what Perignum, what Perignum is and, and what that program is all about, kind of give them the rundown on that. So Perignum CrossFit supports a nonprofit, which is the Phoenix um, which supports folks in recovery. So it's a free, active, sober community. Um, and so any uh, membership for Perignum that's paid for, just like any CrossFit gym, goes directly to support the Phoenix, which is a nonprofit. So anytime someone signs up, it paves the way for four people to come on the Phoenix side for free. So it's a really cool concept because the for-profit side is completely supporting the nonprofit side. And then there are multiple locations. So there's one here in Boston, there's one in Colorado, there's one in California. Um, the Phoenix has been around and it is all over the U S but the CrossFit gyms that are attached, um, are in those three locations. And those are all per locations, correct? Yep. So, yeah. uh, Mike Brady runs the one in Colorado, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who, who runs the one in California? Um, Caitlin Honeycutt is the head coach over there. Okay, cool. Uh, so what is that? I would imagine there's some people that would be freaked out just by the thought of trying to deal with addicts of, of any substance, but what kind of, what is, what are those classes like? Yeah. So we have, um, one consistent class a day that's free for people to come in that are either in recovery or supporters of recovery. Um, and we have a team member agreement that they have to abide by like 48 hours of sobriety. Um, you're not going to see anybody like take their shirts off. We're going to have clean language on the music and just be respectful and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they always, how the Phoenix works is they always have um, a peer in recovery coach those classes. So I'm never the one to coach unless they need some coverage and there always needs to be someone else like a staff member that's there um, to assist me if I'm coaching the class. The Paradenum classes are only for the paid for clientele and they do not have to abide by the team member agreement. So that's like the 5.30, 6.30 a.m. noon class, 5 and 6 p.m. Um, but it, it definitely is, and we were just talking about it this morning, it, it is you know, a little bit of a different culture than you'll see maybe at a regular CrossFit gym because we're all under one roof. So the Denver location has a Perignum in one building and the Phoenix in the other building. So they don't really mesh a lot of the time. We're all under one roof. So there is some overlap. So you, you know, when we had our Memorial day workout, we're not having like beers after and you won't see people with their shirts off and things like that. So, um, you know, we try to be pretty upfront with, with people coming in on like what we're about and what we support. And, um, we have a pretty small community now because we just opened, um, in the end of September, 
but everybody's been super supportive and respectful. And so um, definitely a little bit different than what I was used to at One Nation where like people are taking their shirts off in the warm up and like, you know, there's always beers after Friday night classes and things like that um, at all the other CrossFit gyms I've, I've worked at. Um, so it, it's just a little bit different. Have you ever had to turn somebody away from class because they violated some of the agreements? Yeah, usually, um, you know, there are some awesome staff members that are here that are, you know, experienced with dealing with people that may not be completely sober and abiding by the team member agreement. So I, that is like not my experience that I, I've had to watch them deal with some of those scenarios, especially like where we are in town, we're kind of in a, a, a rough area in Boston um, where people are like, you know, doing drugs right around the corner. Um, but they've handled it really well that I'm, I'm learning a lot from how they handle these tough situations, how they talk to people, what people look like when they're not 48 hours sober. And I, that's not something I've um, dealt with a lot because I don't have anybody in my family that has had experience with that. I'm not in recovery. So it's a new, it's just a different, after doing CrossFit and coaching for so many years, it, it brings a new perspective and it's cool for me because it's something new that I'm learning and having to like get feedback on like how I had to deal with that person and, you know, tell them they couldn't be in class or whatever. Has that helped you give feedback like in a normal scenario? Yeah. I mean, we have, now that I'm getting, giving feedback to, there's like six different people that I'm giving feedback to on a regular basis. And, um, some are in recovery, some are not. And it just kind of depends on like where they're at with their coaching career, where they're at with their personal life and their recovery and like how they're used to taking feedback. And if, you know, they are not used to that or get defensive or are completely open to it or a little bit more sensitive or not, there's definitely a lot of different personalities, um, which has been challenging for me and, and also good because this is, again, it's like new to me to be able to give feedback because I've never been in a head coach role before. Um, but just having to realize like pretty quickly on, okay, this is not my feedback style is not going to work for some people that I'm giving feedback to. Chuck brought up something really cool that I had started doing just coincidentally myself, which is just lead with a question rather than lead with your feedback, which is just like, how do you think it went? You yeah. Know? Yeah. And actually the, the guy, one of the guys that, um, or the pregnum like manager, he oversees everything. He, we were on a leadership call and he was like, I usually lead with that. Like, how do you think it went? Now I do that. And I'm like, is that's the best piece of advice I've gotten is just like ask first. And then it usually leads to versus I was giving it more of like, just what I thought right away. Cause sometimes people will tell you all those things. They're like, I had a shitty night last night. And you're like, okay, well, cool. Then I'm going to basically chop the bottom half of this feedback because we're not, it's not relevant at this point. Totally. Um, yeah. But that's been one of the biggest things that I've learned is like, just lead with a question first. Most of the time they're right on the feedback anyway. They already know what they did wrong. Like you can just now give them the corrective actions in order to yeah. do that. But they acknowledge it instead of you saying you fucked it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are some of the biggest things? So like a couple things like a, what are some of the biggest things that you've learned with dealing um, with people in recovery 
and then kind of some do's and don'ts. And then if people want to get involved with that, cause I don't, I don't know a whole lot of people who are not affected by, um, you know, by that it, either, whether it's, you know, one or two degrees of separation, but like, I think virtually everybody knows somebody who's in recovery. Um, so first thing is, what are some things that you've learned in dealing with folks that are in recovery? And then if people want to get involved, how do they go about doing that? Yeah. Well, you know, the, the staff and the coaches here are awesome and they're really open about their stories and where they're at in their journey with recovery. And when we were talking about it this morning and how to like, how do we intertwine the two groups? Like, you know, we're, we don't want to tell a paid member that's not in recovery that like, Hey, you can't talk about what you did this weekend and like go out and drink. And then we also want to be respective of people that are new to their recovery and how do we like mix the two. And my, um, one of the coaches here was like, I, you know, I don't like to be put in this like separate category. And he's like, I don't like that. We're like, it's like the normal people and the addicts. So really trying to find a way to like mesh the two. And that's what I think is probably a strength of mine. It's not really, thinking about like where this person came from or what's their background or whatever, and just treating everybody the same. Like everybody that comes to my CrossFit class is going to get coached the same. You know, we're not going to put like people that are maybe a little bit more sensitive to coach. I know sometimes people ask this at the level too. Well, what if I hurt their feelings? You know, like you're obviously not trying to coach and like yell at everybody, but everybody should be getting coached and, and corrected regardless of who they are to then just like reduce that stigma around like, Hey, there's two separate groups. And, people in recovery still are, you know, out in the world and, and, and living around people that are drinking or whatever it is. And, um, just being respected or respecting them, but also like not treating them any different. It's the biggest thing that like Mike was saying today, he was like, I don't want to be treated any different. Yeah, I think, and I think that's hard to, it, like it makes sense when you say it, but like sometimes we just kind of unconsciously like act differently towards people. Like I was just thinking before, uh, is it even okay to call people addicts? Like, and I should probably know this, like my mom is a recovering alcoholic and alcoholism runs in my family, but I'm like, do you say they're in recovery? Do you, is, are they an addict? Like, does that offend people? Like what's the PC way to, to yeah. deal with that? We do a really cool, um, so before any of the Phoenix classes, they do a circle up, which is like, you say your name and you say whether you're in the terminology is whether you're in recovery or you're supporter of recovery. And so each person can go around and say what they want to say. And that was another thing that I, you know, kind of had a question of like, what if people don't want to say, or do they like to say, or, you know, and sometimes people come in there, um, you know, like I'm an addict. Like it usually we use the term recovery, but it, we're not going to like shut somebody down for what they want to say. But you know, Mike was saying again to this guy, he was like, it was really empowering to me to be able to stand in front of a group and be like, I'm in recovery and fit in with a community of people and work out in the same space as maybe a supporter or someone that's not in recovery and be proud of that versus like, outside the gym walls sometimes it's like this weird thing where you know you have to kind of keep it private or people don't understand or you know he was like I feel really comfortable in this gym to be able to say that and I think that's the cool thing about CrossFit is like it again like it just promotes that nobody's better than somebody else we're all working out doing the same thing and so that's typically what we'll say when we go around the circle that's cool You've, I'm, I'm like looking at your resume right here, which 
pro- there, it's probably safe to say that very few people in the CrossFit world will have will have a resume that looks like that, right? Like meaning it coached at these gyms, coached under these people, like the 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 coaches that you've coached under, uh, like big names, and there's no shortage of them. For people that don't have access to that, what do you? What would be your advice in order to start developing yourself as a coach? Meaning, like, a I don't have access to either a seminar staff member or somebody who's really good, yeah. or B, I can't just pick up and move to Boston. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would say the first step, the thing that helped me the most um, is the the whole practice what you preach. Like that is that that should be like the the platform that anybody does anything from because then you're practicing what you preach, but you're also getting to learn from, you know, your members as well as like, you're not just only learning from other coaches, you're learning from members because you're in class with them or you're working on your weaknesses with them and learning from maybe somebody that has something that you don't. So doing that at the, at the base and then gosh, like it, the more you can just watch other people. I just remember I, I, when I was at Invoke, like I would just try to watch every coach's class and get as much experience watching because you learn what you like and what you don't like. And even when I watch here, like new coaches, I'm picking up new cues all the time. And that's not from anybody that's a seminar staff member. That's from someone that just started coaching that thinks differently than I do. That's explaining something different that I'm like, Oh, I'm totally going to steal that. Um, and, and I don't see people a lot of times watch, just watching other classes. And I remember when I was at Invoke, Christmas had to be like, hey, like, you need to go home. Like, you've been here too long. Like, go. And because I just wanted to watch people's classes. So if you don't have experience with that, you can still learn from other coaches. And if anything, you're like, this is definitely what I don't want to do um, by just watching the way somebody else coaches. It's funny you bring that up because people have asked me in the past, they're like, usually if you look at somebody's career, there's like a pretty um, specific period of time where they made like big jumps in their development. And I remember specifically when mine was, and it was when I started giving people feedback because I would sit down and I was watching two to three classes a day of other people coaching. And from a practical standpoint, if, if you're not the person that's going to be giving feedback, you can still sit down and jot two to three pages of notes of the class. The things that you're going to learn in one week, if you do three classes a day of that, is going to be so much information that you probably couldn't take action on all of those things in a six-month period. Yeah, yeah. And I think like from you know being at One Nation and then being here, and what, what we require here is like, doing the whole lesson plan and preparing for your class. I definitely did not do that until I came to one nation. And I honestly do not know how I ever coached a successful class without doing that. Like I have no idea. Did I just like look at the board and I was like, well, today we're going to run 400 meters and as our warm up, and then like, just get right into it. Like, I don't know how I ever ran on time, like anything like that. So, you know, making a lesson plan and really like preparing for your class, just like you would go into work, and meet with your boss. Like you wouldn't be unprepared for this like really important meeting. It's the same thing with this. And so even if you're not watching somebody else that's super successful with their coaching, it's like 
preparing for your class like you would prepare for out in like you know the business world is something that I think people forget to do because so easy to just look at the board and they're like no I'm just gonna do this today and wing it yeah I mean I'll just tell you my experience like I I did not coach any good classes for years because I wasn't prepared it wasn't like how did I ever do that and it's like the class went down but it was just a goat rope you know like nobody died and we everybody did some fitness but like at no point did it resemble an effective you know um kind of impression of what coaching should look like yeah yeah um cool if people want to find any information about the uh about the phoenix project or perignum like where where's the best place for them to search for that stuff so the best place is probably um on the website uh the phoenix.org or they can just go to perignum um crossfit.com and then they'll see information from both um there's an explanation on the perignum crossfit of what we support and what our mission is. And then there's more details with the Phoenix side that, um, you know, the Phoenix is, is also at locations. Like we have a, a guy named Ben who's on the Cape and he has one Phoenix class a week that he holds at his gym that, so he's not a Perignum location or a Phoenix location, but he's still holding that class. He's in recovery himself, um, for people to just come in for free. So, you know, you could have that at your gym, right? And like have one class on a Saturday at 10, that's a Phoenix class where people can come in um, that are in recovery or supporters of recovery. So that, that's a pretty cool um, thing that they're doing too. Yeah, that was kind of my question. Is it like an affiliation process or you just kind of try to put it together? Because uh, Carlene Matthews, she was saying she does something very similar because she's in recovery as well. But I don't, I, to my knowledge, she's not involved in that project. Yeah. So that's a different side of it. That's the Phoenix rising side. Um, and it's not through an affiliation, but that I don't know exactly how it works, but they would just open that class up. But I do believe it needs to be someone that's in recovery running that class or someone that's trained on that. Um, because they do like the peer to peer model there so ben can do it at his gym because he's in recovery and then he can also lead that class got it okay cool um last thing what podcast or documentary series are you watching currently do you watch tv yeah so um i just got done watching the final table on netflix have you seen that it's a cooking show right it's really good um, and then I just got into that Sherlock Holmes show on Netflix. It's called Sherlock. Oh, I know what you're talking about, but I haven't watched it. I don't watch a ton of TV, um, but I know what you're talking about. That's really good. And then the podcast I've been liking. Um, do you know who Dr. Anthony Gustin is? He's got a keto podcast. Oh, okay. Um, let me see what the name of it is. And, and I'm not a big, like, this is not because I'm keto or anything, but he's a really knowledgeable guy and he's got some great oh the keto answers podcast with dr anthony gustin um and you know he's a big keto guy but he's got a lot of other like great nutrition information and he's into crossfit he was on the brew strength podcast and stuff so he's got a lot of good information and he kind of breaks it down into a non-sciencey way of talking i like it yeah cool uh last thing anything Ackerman likes this question and I like it too. Is there, is there something 
a belief or idea that you've had in the past that you no longer believe? Oh, um, I think probably, it, I mean, I guess this is just like fitness related, but that although I work for CrossFit and I'm all about CrossFit, I live the CrossFit lifestyle. It's not, the, that's not the only way. Um, and so my idea has shifted because it was very, even when I started working out the high school, I'm like, it's only CrossFit. Like we can only do it this way. It's not that. And while that is my belief, uh, I'm a, a lot more open-minded to other areas of fitness because at this point, I really just care that people work out and that they eat healthy. So it's less about like, this is the only way, even though I think CrossFit is the best way. Um, but more that they just work out and eat right. I like that. And I've, I've kind of come to that same realization over the last couple of years that like, if you're going to ask me like, what is the best possible program to get people to peak health CrossFit bar none. However, there is a, tens of millions if not billions of people that are never going to do crossfit yeah. so maybe i just have them do something else yeah and we had like a we had a boot camp class at one nation that the guys would come in they like could care less about fitness they're you know a lot of them are overweight and like in the middle of the workout they'd start doing push-ups and there are no push-ups written in the workout and it's like what are you doing man and they're like just trying to get my arm pump and you're like you know what Go ahead. Like, rather you than not be here. That's a good idea. I'm going to join you. But back in the day, I would be like, no, like you're doing it, you know, and it's not that we let everybody do whatever they want, but it's like those guys, they just want to come in and like, they want to get their pump on. Like they're working out rather than be there than not be there. Pat, who's, I think Pat Sherwood said this a while back when I was talking to him, he's like, listen, he goes, if people want to be gym rats, yeah. just let them be gym rats yeah. dude like yeah. it's clearly making them happy so don't try to impose your will on them like yeah. just yeah. trying to like gracefully guide them to good decisions yeah um, that's a good question yeah um cool all right well hey i'm gonna ask you a question okay all right okay so we always because we always do icebreakers in the that 11 o'clock class and so we've used like every possible icebreaker like on the planet okay. do you have like one icebreaker question that's your go-to that's not just like What's your favorite food? Ooh, yeah. So this one has to do with the zombie apocalypse. So you just, oh. look around, yeah, you have to look around the class and you just say, hey, you get to pick one person in the group to take with you okay. uh, on the zombie apocalypse. Who's it going to be? But you have to say why. Okay. I love that. We're yeah. going to use that today. I, we, we were doing this at the like new trainer summit years ago with, uh, it was like me, Tosh, uh, who actually we need to get Tosh on the show. Or somebody yeah. talking about it. Yeah, and it was like Andrew Charlesworth and a bunch of – and like Nicole Carroll was there. And Tosh basically said he would kill Nicole <laughs> <laughs> because he would rather her die by his hand than by like the, by oh, the zombies and stuff no. like that. It was so sure. funny because she was, she was so offended and like it was, it was incredible though. But That's Andrew Charlesworth also uh, didn't choose Tosh. And I like immediately went to Tosh. I was like, I'm taking Tosh. Like Tosh is going with me on this one. <laughs> yeah. and, Charles, and Charles Worth was like, ah, you know, I don't really know you. I don't know if you're good in pressure situations. And I was like, uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, I was like, Hey yeah. man, uh, good use, idea. The, use the Google machine and you might find out some information. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but anyway, I like the old zombie apocalypse. Like who are you going to take with you? And why? Okay. So, that's a good one. We're going to use that one. <laughs> cool. Hey, listen, thanks for your time. This was awesome. There's a ton of good stuff on here and uh, hope to work with you soon. Yeah, you too. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, one more time, please 
Leave us a review on Apple Podcast and send us any feedback you have to at best hour of their day on Instagram and best hour of their day at gmail.com if you want to shoot us an email. We appreciate you. Thanks again. Have a great rest of your day.